Hey folks, welcome back to On the Mic with Mike Peters. My guest this week is Emma Paxton, who moved from New Jersey to Rochester right before the pandemic began. So you know her timing is impeccable. She's pretty awesome though. We talked about psychology, the beauty of New Jersey, didn't know that was a thing, and she did the unthinkable. She badmouthed Taco Bell and lived to say another word. Yikes. She's a smart lady, though, because she brought up Full House, and everybody knows that's the key to my heart. This is a good one. Emma's going to be performing at the On The Zoom Comedy Show at 8 p.m. on Saturday, February 27th. She'll be with Binghamton's Holly Griffin and Caitlin Palufa from New York City. Palufa is on Colbert, so go see them. you got three really funny people, so you're guaranteed to have a great time. Tickets are 5 bucks and available through Facebook and Eventbrite. Or you can sign up for the Patreon and get access to every show for just $5 a month. Thank you guys so much. Please like, share, review, and subscribe to the podcast. I'll talk to you next week. Take care. Wings off and some. Peeling back my sunburnt skin. I'll wait outside your bedroom. I, I hope they let me in. Thank you for doing this. I appreciate you taking the time sure. out of your busy, busy, busy Sunday, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, totally busy. <laughs> if uh, if you weren't doing this podcast, what would you be doing now? Uh, scrolling. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Okay. So really busy. Yes, totally. It's kind of fun. Uh, I don't know if you've ever listened to the episode. Uh, all we're going to do is talk about all of your faults and uh, <laughs> <laughs> why you shouldn't exist as a person. So I hope <laughs> I hope that your your ego can take it. Yeah. Sounds good. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I I met you through Zoom and doing mm-hmm. doing the mics and everything. And it's, you know, I've been saying for like months, like, you know, I was hoping to say it for like a month. But uh, one of the fun things for me about doing anything on Zoom is is that, especially with the podcast, I'm able to meet all sorts of different people and bring them on, on board. When did you feel like like Zoom was a good thing in your life? I don't know. I was kind of reticent to do like Zoom comedy, but then I joined that group and I thought, wow, this is super convenient. I don't have to leave. Like it's more welcoming. Yeah, I started, I think I did like a Rochester show uh, on Zoom and it went well. And I was like, this is great. I don't see why I wouldn't do this. Was that with Erica Sylvester? Yes. Yes. Yeah, I did a couple for her too. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah, it was fun. Well, when do you get started in comedy? I think like 2017, I'd wanted to do it since I was like 14, basically, (laughs) but um, I didn't have the nerve or I tried like, I think I went to like some second city camp for like uh, improv and like sketch comedy, but that didn't go as well as I wanted it to. And then like, I just always have been obsessed with stand up. And then finally, like a few years ago, I saw some guys like doing stand-up in the village, and I was like, they were so horrible, and I was like, if they can do it, then I can definitely do this. <laughs> I, I know. That thought keeps me going after five years. I'm like, listen, I'm not the worst one here. I know I'm not the worst one. I'm not the best, but I know I'm not the worst. So yeah. kind of keeps me there. Uh, so, I mean, so you're doing comedy for three years outside. How difficult was it for you to transition to inside? Well, I was like in the New Jersey slash New York City scene for a bit. And then I had some like health stuff. So then I took a break Um, just as I was getting like really good. It kind of sucked. But uh, (laughs) how long did it take to transition? Not that much. Like, I don't know. It's just like super convenient. And I'm already a lazy person. So it works for me. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Like I, I'm still doing like uh, we do a mic at, uh, at a bar once a week. And I still have yet to put on like real pants for that. (laughs) <laughs> like I got, I was very close to, I mean, I look like I'm homeless all the time. So when they're like, okay, well, we're only going to see you from the shoulders up. I'm like, sweet. Yeah. And I put on a, a beanie and I'm like, not, I'm not even going to like comb my hair. <laughs> like it got, it got really dangerous. So I did like four shows over the summer, four or five. And I had to put on like actual pants and I'm like, I don't know if these are going to fit. So I think since March 14th, that was the last show I did, uh, you know, before everything shut down. Since then, I've probably worn actual clothes maybe 12 hours. It's really sad. <laughs> so, like, I could really fall into that convenience trap. And not that I want to do this forever, but if I had to, I could do it, I think. Yeah, it's it's pretty nice. Like, even people complain about how, like, you don't hear people laugh. But at the same time, if everyone's muted, 
then you won't know if you do badly. So it could also work in your favor. <laughs> I know. Like I heard that complaint too. It's like, oh, everybody's muted. I'm like, I notice no difference. <laughs> you know, like when I'm on stage, nobody laughs at my jokes anyway. So who cares? Like now you're all on my playing field. So right? welcome to my life. Yeah. And like, it's not a huge, like people who are against it or it's like, are you that narcissistic that you need like a stage and like, you know, lights like that says more about you yeah. and your ego and stuff. It's just funny. Yeah. And you know what? Like it, the funny part for me is like for like a few years I've been, you know, people have said, oh, you're a narcissist. I'm like, no, no, I'm fighting it. Now <laughs> I'm on Zoom and I'm telling jokes to people, but I'm still only looking at my face. <laughs> so I'm like, you know what? Maybe they have a point. It's addicting, right? It's super weird. Like. I can't stop looking at myself. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, there's an option for you to turn it off. But I'm like, no, why would I not want to look at my face? Like, uh, <laughs> you know, like, and I know it's not the most appealing thing, but I'm like, well, it's what I got. And I kind of like it. Yeah, it's like I half hate my face, but then why am I still looking at it? It doesn't really make sense. <laughs> so uh, what'd you grow up watching? Like, uh, what comedians, what TV shows, like, what got you, uh, what kind of shaped your brain to go into comedy? I loved uh Robin Williams stand up. My family yeah. would watch it. When I got into Jim Gaffigan, I was like, this is amazing. Everything is about food. This is incredible. Yeah. I love his self like uh, self-consciousness. He has this little voice he does. The critic, yeah. And then I don't know. I just watch like all stand-up. Like I love like my Birbiglia and um who else was I watching when I was younger? Just like everyone. And now like I really like Sebastian Maniscalco, whatever. Yeah. He's yeah. super funny. Just like any and all stand-up except stuff that was like super crass or like raunchy is not like what I tend to gravitate towards. But, um, you know, I like Jerry Seinfeld and I was obsessed with watching like sitcoms and um, yeah. Yeah. My buddy, he brought over, I think it was King Baby. No, no. Beyond the Pale. He brought Beyond mm -hmm. the Pale to my place and we watched that. I mean, like we knew it was a Gaffigan special, so we figured out it was going to be about food. So we went to like the Walmart. And it was a small town, Lock Haven, Pennsylvania. And the only thing to do was drink and then go to Walmart or go to Walmart and then drink. <laughs> so uh, we loaded up on like, I think we did get Hot Pockets for like the next day. We got pizza rolls, anything that, you know, Gaffigan might eat when he was, you know, not a millionaire. And we just picked out that night. And what impressed me with him was that he could write, you know, him and his wife, uh, they could write 75 minutes of jokes primarily about food and it never felt like it was too much right yeah and i it's it's incredible work yeah i love him he's so funny he's like super cynical super sarcastic it's really funny did you see where he on twitter just went super political uh yes recently? that was like um it was almost like a religious moment for me like i'm not religious <laughs> at all but i was like oh my god things are that bad to where jim gaffigan is speaking out and alienating probably about 40% of his audience. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, you got to take And he take cursed. Yes. Yeah. And now he had cursed like early in his career. But I mean, I hadn't heard in years. And I called my dad and I'm like, something's happening. Like it was like, it was like <laughs> the rapture is coming. Like Jim Gaffigan is alive. And you figured you knew where he was politically. But to be out that outspoken was like, that's not something he does at all. It was incredible. Yeah, and it, it speaks to, like, if you, even even because he cursed, if you don't curse for a while and then you do, it's, like, way more impactful. So it's like, whoa. Like, yeah. Did you ever try to go, like, and not swear in your stand-up for a while? Um, I actually don't, like, feel like I do that much. Like, I'm not against swearing, but yeah. I just, I guess I tend to not do. I have, like, a few swears, but I could probably have a set without it and be, like, a clean comedian, but then people might make fun of me. I don't know. Yeah, well, I went, man, I, I'm going to say I went about almost a year with trying to write strictly clean material. And it mm -hmm. was a really fun challenge. And I don't know yeah. if I don't know if it was like my best work or whatever, because it's not really who I am. But getting an audience to laugh at a completely clean joke to me is like putting a puzzle together. It's like that, that last piece. It's a magic trick. And uh, because, hey, I didn't resort to a raunchy sex joke. I didn't I didn't have to punctuate it with fuck. You know, anything like that. And like they laughed at this banana joke, like this analogy that I made. 
And yeah. I was like, oh, that's that's what being, you know, a, a quote unquote real comedian, like like somebody in the 70s and 80s is. And I, I always have a lot of respect for those guys who can go clean. They're not my favorite comedians usually. But, you know, like I, I love a guy like Berbiglia who. He's pretty clean. Yeah. And he's not known. Like he obviously swears, but he's not known for it. So like he's to me like and John Mulaney as well. They're my favorites right now. And yeah, they're and great. I, I think they could go, they can go blue, they can go whatever. And I think there's a real art to, to what they do. Yeah, totally. I think it does take more skill to, like you said, not fall back on like dick jokes or whatever. Yeah. It's just like, okay, you're actually using your brain, not doing what everyone else does constantly, where you can literally like predict everyone else's set. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, I do love Berbiglia. Cause like any, even you have more an, of an audience too, like, cause if it's more family friendly or, yeah, John Mulaney is great too. He's super smart. He has this like confidence. It's like, how are you that confident? Like your body yeah. language, like I don't understand. It's almost annoying because you're like, okay, no one is that like, like your posture alone. It's, <laughs> I don't know. Well, I get really impressed with him and Perbiglia because it doesn't feel like they're telling you jokes, but they could read any line, but their inflection and their voice, and maybe it's just their past work, but I feel like, that alone, their voice is enough to make me laugh. And so, you know, I read something with Berbiglia of how like his, this one block of his set had like nine laugh lines in it. And I'm like, but I don't know if they're jokes. They're just the way he says it, you know, like, uh, I know. And it's like, yeah, that's a totally. joke right there. Like I'm in the future also. I like, love that line. Yeah. It's great. And it's like, <laughs> On its own, it's nothing. It's they're they're not jokes, but because it's him and the way he says it, there's two jokes right there. That's so true. Yeah. Yeah, and like anything uh, he does with Berbiglia does with like his hands, like going over his head, like he's like the joke went over or whatever. Like yeah, that's a joke, but he didn't write any of that. You know, not on paper. Yeah, that's a good point. Like he has very specific cadence that I feel like I accidentally emulate sometimes. Yeah. And like, I wanted to do an impression of him one time. Like, I don't have it down, but there is a thing that Mike Berbiglia does where he's like, and I was running and I was going, and then we got to the place and we were like, uh, uh, and I don't know. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. It, it like, he starts off slow and then he gets all like heightened. But yeah, I think a lot of stand up is like, if you really no analyze it in that way, the inflection, exaggeration, um, cadence is everything. Like, even in my own material, I noticed when I would like do certain bits. And then I emphasized it more, it would get a bigger laugh. I mean, that's kind of obvious, right? Because like exaggeration yeah. is usually funny. But yeah, even the opposite is true. Like people will call me deadpan when I think I'm like theatrical and like expressive. And I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know it was that monotone. Jeez. <laughs> do you do you ever go back and listen to what you said and uh, like listen to a set and be like, oh, motherfucker, they're right. <laughs> like, like it just catches you by surprise. A little bit, but I, I feel like I am expressive, but maybe like the overall tone is like more even keeled or I don't know. Maybe it's just like certain bits. Yeah, I know. I know when I man, I probably was like in my first or second year, probably second year. Uh, I was watching a whole lot of Dimitri Martin and mm -hmm. uh, and I love that guy. I, I just really enjoy his He's writing funny. and I developed more of a one liner thing. And now, you know, I'm, I'm I started as a storyteller. I went one liner and now I think I'm a mix of the two because I, I didn't know how to write a punchline while I was telling stories. And I've been told that's a problem. So, so I figured, okay, I'll watch Dimitri Martin and I'll get that. But the problem I ran into when I was doing straight one-liners was I would fall into a character and it would be completely monotone like a Stephen Wright or a Dimitri Martin at times. And somebody told me, he was, he was like, yeah, my mom really liked you, but she likes you in your regular voice off stage because when you're on stage, you sound robotic. And I was like, oh, my God, that's exactly what I'm doing. And because I would rehearse it with no emotion in my face. And I was like, well, that's, you know, half the selling of a joke is your facial expressions. And if right. I'm doing one liners with no facial expressions, that joke better be tight. And for where I was, I couldn't get by on words alone. Yeah. So when you grew up uh, or when you grew up, uh, you grew up in the city, right? Or New Jersey City? No, city? Northern, northern New Jersey, but like 45 minutes from New York City. OK, so. Did you start doing comedy in Jersey or New York City? Jersey. Now, what's the scene like out there? I mean, is it, um, is it, is it pretty hard? There's some super talented people. There's a lot of people. It's very diverse, which is cool. Like, I could be wrong, but I found it, like, kind of clicky. But I was just starting, so, like, I didn't really know anyone. 
and I was trying to like, you know, meet people. And, um, but I did feel a little bit of that, but you know, that could have just been cause I was new. Yeah. Um, but there's some super talented people, but yeah, there's also a lot of people. <laughs> I, I assume it's the same everywhere, but when you're in Jersey, is the goal to move to New York city or is the goal more to say, Hey, Jersey's just as good. Like we could, we could stay here and, you know, fuck New York. Like there's gotta be some sort of, uh, rivalry between the two. I don't know if there's rivalry. Um, I feel like it's just kind of like integrated because it's so easy to get to the city and people go there a lot. So I think the scene is pretty strong in New Jersey as well. And uh, people take a lot of pride in it. I don't know if there's a rivalry, maybe, but my guess is not. I know. And and I don't I mean, I have friends in New York City, but I not from New York City. I'm from Binghamton. So beautiful Binghamton. (laughs) Oh, yeah, it's gorgeous. It's absolutely gorgeous. (laughs) It is not gray today, but that's going to be it for this year. So you know, we, we're holding on, holding on tight to our nice day. But no, people from Binghamton, upstate New York, we do not like New Jersey. Like there's, yeah. And I think Jersey probably has an unfair reputation. Yeah, kind of. But the, the times I've gone there, uh, I, I lived in Maryland. I went, for, uh, I went to New Atlantic City, which probably isn't the greatest place in the world for Jersey. I've never been there. Really? So, so it's, not that, it's not that appealing? It doesn't sound appealing, no. No, no. So when I, I was going up for a bachelor party, I, I, I went late. Like I missed the first day or of two days of a two-day party. And I was going through Maryland, hit Delaware, and went to Jersey. And like the first thing I smelled going to Jersey was like a sewage treatment plant. And I'm like, yeah, this yeah. to me is New Jersey. And uh, I was when I was there, uh, I was getting my car the next day and – I don't know how old she was. She liked her meth. I know that. But <laughs> somebody came up to me and asked me and my buddy Brian if uh, if we were looking for a good time. And we're like, no, we had a lot of fun last night. We're okay. And she goes, really? I go, no. I mean, if you could help us find a car, that'd be great. But was this in Atlantic City? Oh, yeah, yeah. It was in a, It was in uh, one of their nicer parking garages. Okay. Well, it's like any state in this country has a gross area and a nice area, right? Like, yeah. It's oh, not yeah. like Binghamton is like the most beautiful. <laughs> no, no. Binghamton bus station is like one of the most depressing places I've ever been. Um, <laughs> Why is that? The bus station? I yeah. don't know. It's just like upstate New York can be so depressing. Like, But then also really pretty. And the same goes with New Jersey. Like Secaucus is horrible. But honestly, there's so many beautiful towns. There's a lot of gardens and like yeah. nicer natural areas um it just depends where you are like anything and it's like if people want to hate on you like i can make fun of new jersey too but like it is kind of unfair because like go to any state and there's a gross part but yeah there's some nice stuff about it too honestly it's the most populated state i think in the country so if it were that horrible then why are people flocking to it like uh my favorite author is harlan coben and he only writes about new jersey like all of his every setting is in new jersey and i feel like when i read his books i know it and I mean, Kevin Smith, I love I love all the Kevin Smith movies and like Mm -hmm. they're all centered on Red Bank. So like Red Bank is actually a really nice town and it's right by the beach. Um, Oh, I didn't know it was by the beach. Yes, it's in the Jersey Shore, basically. Okay, no. So like and then I'm a big Scrubs fan and Zach Braff will. Oh, it's funny. He will defend Jersey to the inch of his life. And he should. I mean, he wrote Garden State. So the guys, you know, he. Yeah, that was like near. Yeah, near where I uh, grew up. Yeah, Zach Braff is great, too. Yeah, Scrubs is funny. It's, like, pretty original for a sitcom, having the little, like, inner voice and all that stuff. Yeah. Daydreaming. Yeah, my grandma was a nurse, and Scrubs is one of my favorite shows. And my grandma's a nurse, and she watched Scrubs. And I was like, well, what do you think? Like, how accurate is it? She goes, well, when I was a nurse, there wasn't as much necking going on. And I was like, well, all right, <laughs> that's, that's probably accurate. But uh, I was like... My grandpa Joe probably appreciated that, but no, she loved the show and, and mm-hmm. they got all the medical jargon, right? I mean, they, they really were careful about that, but yeah, that was still one of the funniest shows I've ever seen on TV. Yeah. What, uh, what shows did you watch? I mean, obviously Scrubs is there. Um, I'm kind of a sucker for sitcoms. Like, you know, I loved like Full House growing oh up. Oh my God. You know, it's super corny. <laughs> yes. I love Full Really? I, I, it is going. Oh my nice. God. Yeah. Yeah. I have a, <laughs> I think I, I got a joke where I probably mentioned Full House on about 80% of these episodes. Uh, <laughs> really? Nice. Generally, I bring it up too. So I'm glad that you brought it up. Uh, but yeah, I've got, I've got the, the DVD box set with the house. Uh, you know, it's got the, the house at 1882 Gerard Street. I know that one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I, I grew up, 
I mean, I'm I was born in '83, so I probably mm-hmm. started watching Full House in like '88 or '89, and I have not stopped. I mean, I don't watch it every day, but I love it. Uh, <laughs> it's so, just like uh, everyone should like the world would be a better place if everyone saw it. We could all wrap up our conflict with a nice little resolve. Uh, everyone could, you know have life lessons and be good to each other. Hug it out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like we could all have I, annoying <laughs> catchphrases that we repeat over and over. <laughs> I, I sent a, I sent a text message to my friend Danielle and she only saw the YouTube. Like I sent a YouTube clip. She opened it and she goes, I fucking knew it was going to be full house. Like, <laughs> I, like stop sending me full house links. Like, I can't help it. But the, can't help it. The true test is, have you seen Fuller House on Netflix? <laughs> All five seasons. Oh, my God. Me, too. You're the only person I know that actually... I thought I was the only one in the universe that watched that. <laughs> no, I, I loved it. But you know what? It's at pretty a certain corny. Point, at a certain point, I wanted it to be over. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed the first episode... I mean, there were a couple of good ones all the way around, but the first episode where, you know, it was like, oh, I think 27 years later, or 29 years later, whatever it was. And, uh, you know, they got everybody back to the house. And I like the the cameos in the wedding. Oh, I don't want to spoil it for. Listen, if you haven't seen Fuller House yet. <laughs> no one's watching it. So. <laughs> yeah, we're the only that, two like, people on the planet. <laughs> but but I like the fact that um, Dwayne, uh, he came back. Uh, and like they had they had some cameos come back for the wedding and it, it was like a little bit of closure that really nobody needed. But uh, <laughs> yeah. for me, I loved it. So I'm a fan. Yeah, I liked it because it's just like wholesome and corny and like feel good. Although uh, what's her name? The main character or I like Stephanie, but oh, DJ, she gets pretty annoying. Yeah. yeah I mean, I, Stephanie was always my favorite. Yeah, I hate same. Michelle. I absolutely hated Michelle and <laughs> I hate uh, that baby. Jeez. <laughs> God, she was so awful. Uh, my, I have a friend who she's like, she's like every time she would watch full house with her mom, her mom would be like, Oh, that's an ugly baby. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, fair enough. But no, I, I relate to Stephanie because uh, I'm a male yeah, child. Like oh, okay. So yeah. So like the whole show, you probably know. So but I'll tell everybody else, but the whole show is supposed to be centered, not, not centered, I guess, but Stephanie was supposed to be, the Michelle, like she was the everything, all the funny ske- scenes were supposed to be focused around her. That's why, like in the first episode or two, uh, I think it was the first one, she was like gliding across the curtain in the room. Like she held on and, and DJ was, you know, getting her over there. And that was a really funny part. So it was supposed to be around her. Then they saw the baby, especially when Michelle started talking. She was getting a lot of people looking at her. So almost until like Nikki and Alex got along, this is like 12 minutes of the podcast, by the way, uh, <laughs> Nikki and Alex came along and uh, it was, they were sharing scenes with Michelle, but basically it was a Michelle show. And uh, she watched ahead of Stephanie in line at Disney World and she was princess for a day when obviously it should have been Stephanie. So <laughs> there's just a whole lot of things that, that I found awful with that show and it's all around Michelle. Yeah. You're going on a Michelle rant there. <laughs> yeah. Well, needed to be said. Yeah. No, it's a good show. <laughs> um, but yeah, I like sitcoms. Like I like Parks and Rec I love. And yeah, I'm obsessed with Parks and Rec, basically. So, okay. So if you, oh, here's here's a good one. If you had to be one, if you had to be Leslie Nope or Ron Swanson, who would it be? Oh my gosh. I think Ron Swanson would be more fun. Yeah, I do too. I don't know who I like more, but Ron is so subtly funny. Yeah. I like watching him more. I think like the great thing about those kind of shows is that uh, the contrast between all the characters are so like Chris, like there's so much contrast. It makes it so funny. All the characters like I love April and I don't know. All of them are great. Yeah, I, I don't think they could have written April and Andy any better. Uh, the way they play yeah, off each other. Cute. Oh, God. And in April, I will always I will always have a huge crush on on her <laughs> because yeah, like anything, cool. anything uh she does uh, like and like she's so dark and she winds up with a guy who you cannot possibly make unhappy yeah and they they were perfect together it's kind of funny how they're like opposites but it worked really well yeah did you watch the office too yeah i love the office okay so which is a better show parks and rec or the office i think parks and rec is more feel good so i like that aspect it's more like and the office just is so brilliant sometimes um, but also you have the cringe factor and it's uncomfortable. So it's not as feel good, but 
It depends. Like for comedy, I feel like they're pretty equal. I mean, I don't know. The writers of those shows are just brilliant. I don't know what it is. It's just continually funny if you watch it over and over and over again. Yeah. When I, I don't know which, I think I like The Office more because when I stopped watching The Office for the first time, I didn't watch it for like two or three days. And I, I got through it in like, I don't know, like a two weeks maybe. It was really bad. Uh, but Oh, that's bad? It would probably take me two days. Well, the last time I watched it uh, was right before the new year when, when it went off Netflix. I think I watched oh, okay. it all in seven days and six days. It was six and a half days. And I was wow. like, oh, no, like like I did nothing productive. So it was really, really. That is productive. I thought so. I mean, hey, I'm paying for Netflix. You're finishing a series. That's a task that you completed. It's a deadline, you know, <laughs> and I, I had a deadline. and Exactly. I, you know, and I'm a, I'm an old newspaper reporter, so I'm like that's that's what feeds my brain. So I was proud of the achievement, but also uh, in a deep sense of shame because <laughs> like that's nothing I don't think anybody should ever admit to. But I when I stopped watching The Office for the first time, I think I started again four days later. And Parks and Rec I loved, but I didn't do it. I don't watch it that frequently. Like I'll watch The Office probably twice before I watch Parks and Rec a second time. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, I love I love both shows though. I feel like The Office, like especially now, it probably wouldn't be on the air because of all the uncomfortable oh, bad yeah. stuff on it. And so that stuff I'm not crazy about, although I guess the tension makes it funny, but I could do without it. Like it made me uncomfortable 10 years ago, so that I guess that's a part I don't love about it, but also I feel like it's, you know, you're you're all poking fun at Michael and how crazy he is but yeah i I guess i like the feel-good aspect of parks and rec but yeah i'd say they're equally equally funny but i don't feel like there's that much shame now that we're in the pandemic it's like it's also like when did it become socially acceptable for us to like binge watch tv because i remember being a kid and being told like two hours of tv a night or like one hour and now it's like i guess nine hours is fun like (laughs) (laughs) well i loved it when when the when the pandemic started it's like you know what you could save lives by staying home and watching Tiger King. And it's like, <laughs> like there's no possible way anybody would ever recommend something as trashy as Tiger King in a regular time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I never watched it. Oh, no? No. I don't really have any desire to. No, you're better off for it, I'm sure. <laughs> what I think is funny is that, like, if you played Full House today, like, if you made that exactly how it was made then, today, people would laugh at it. They would just... uh completely say it's garbage and they wouldn't watch it. But if you played The Office today, like live in the same storylines, people would find that offensive. It's like, where's the middle ground on that? Yeah, I think it was offensive 10 years ago, at least to me, but... That's true, right. We just, uh, we're, we're more cognizant about it now. I think it's, to, to me, I like that things are like not as offensive uh, personally, Because it's like, oh, that always made me uncomfortable like 10 years ago. Finally, people are catching up to how I felt back then. Um, But I could also see the point of like what what you're saying, too. I don't know. It just like depends. (laughs) All right. So so you went to uh, went from Jersey. Now you're in Rochester and Mm -hmm. you moved in March, you said. Mm -hmm. Was that weird to move during this time? Yeah, it was right before everything closed down. Um, So it's like, okay, you're here and now stay doing nothing okay (laughs) (laughs) so you haven't seen like the the real beauty of the rochester comedy scene or anybody right um i mean i visited here a lot so yeah but i went to a couple open mics i think um back in like january but yeah i haven't seen it in full force there's a lot of talent in rochester and Mm -hmm. yeah what i tell people is that (laughs) like binghamton doesn't have a whole lot of uh female comedians like we get one or two, oh, really? and then they cycle out and cycle back in. But I do women's shows, and I try not to depend on Rochester for the talent, but it's mm-hmm. so deep there that, hmm. you know, just as far as, like, women, uh, you're going to be in very good company. And cool. uh, they they are always – I mean, I've been doing it for five years almost, and for at least five years, they've always had, like, two or three superstar female comedians. And, like, the guys are funny too, but, like – I don't know. Uh, that scene is just really, really deep. So you'll have fun Nice, there. nice. Cool. W- what brought you to Rochester? A relationship. Oh, okay. That better work yeah. out, though. <laughs> yeah. But I also love Rochester. I was like, it's a really cool city, even if it doesn't. Like, this is a really nice, like, it kind of reminded me of Ithaca, but bigger. Um, yeah. Kind of artsy, which I like. Uh, so, yeah. 
It's a cool place. Yeah, I would say when I compare the two, Rochester and Ithaca come up. And like, like if I'm trying to find out, like if I'm t- trying to tell people from Rochester, you know, what things are like, oh, it's like Ithaca or whatever, or, or people from Binghamton rather. And uh, but yeah, in the comedy scenes in Rochester and Ithaca are very similar in in the fact that if you're trying to test out, like, say you're in Binghamton, you're trying to test out uh, risque material or whatever. Mm-hmm. The gauge you want is to go to Ithaca. And if it works in Ithaca, it'll work in Rochester and it'll work on oh, everybody. Really? Yeah. Cause uh, the Rochester scene I found, well, it can be, I mean, I, they got every kind of comedian there, but uh, it's generally more, you know, quote unquote woke and which is good. I mean, it, it, a funny joke's a funny joke, but Ithaca is the same way. So I know that uh, if I'm working on something kind of dark and I try to test it out in Syracuse, all right, that might work with everybody. But if I know, if it works in Rochester, it works in Ithaca, I know it's a good joke. So yeah. you'll definitely get a good gauge of your material. Nice. Yeah, it's a really uh, cool city. Are, are you, you're working there too, I assume? Um, I do like social media freelance, um, but I'm actually looking to go to like grad school for counseling. So Oh, okay. So what's your, what's your degree in? What's your undergrad degree? Uh, psychology. Oh, okay. So I took... Uh, God, it was a long time ago. I love psychology. Yeah. Uh, I took intro to psych in college and it was awful uh, because it was an eight o'clock class and it was intro to psych. But oh, man. <laughs> when I took one course, yeah, I, I took one course. It was intro to psychology of family relations. And that course is awesome. Yeah. Mainly because I, I think my family is nuts. And it <laughs> helped me navigate through that. Every family is. Yeah. Yeah. My sister's a forensic psychologist. and Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. And we always joke that the only reason she was going there is because when she got a job, she would have a gun as well. <laughs> so is that the type of stuff you want to do? Like just, just uh, you know, uh, just you said counseling. Uh, I mean, is, mm-hmm. that, is that interesting just, just to get inside somebody's head? Yeah, I've always been like hyper analytical about myself and others. Super fascinated by how the mind works, how the brain works. Basically like obsessed with it. Um, I did used to work in the mental health field. Um, but I actually make a joke about it that it was bad for my mental health. <laughs> um, <laughs> but that was because I worked in a group home with like the worst teenagers on the planet and it was really traumatic and they were all like, you know, they're probably, some of them are probably in jail now, but uh, it was really, really intense, really rough. Also gratifying, but yeah, that kind of turned me off for a bit because I was like, this is too intense, but that was just the job in particular. Like I know it wouldn't be like that with like adult one-on-one counseling. But yeah, I love psychology. I feel like uh, everybody should have had to take like an intro to psych course or go to therapy, anything like that, because we're all wired a little bit. I mean, we're all wired differently, but also we share so many uh, of the same tendencies that taking a psych course will at least force you to think objectively. Yeah. And, you know, put yourself in somebody else's shoes. I think it helps so much, like even now with all the news, like having a background in psychology or even knowing about neuroscience like it helps like diminish the intense feelings of like reading the news the other day like if you understand why people do things you know when I was a teenager I'd be so upset by the world and like how could anyone kill someone and how could like all this horrible stuff happen and then you learn psychology and you're like okay people grow up in this household and then they have this defense mechanism or they learn this from their parents and their attachment it's like now it's like, oh, okay, now I have these explanations, I feel a lot better. And I can navigate the world kind of without being so, you know, freaking confused all the time about how people are. And also, I think like it intersects with comedy as well, like, because a lot of stand up is about like observations of people and yourself and, uh, you know, kind of analyzing yourself. I feel like a lot of people are in stand up are probably interested in, you know, people in that way. Yeah, and I think there's there's so much value in that. Do, do you think that as a person, I mean, do you think that helps you, I don't know, like kind of uh, deflect any conflict? Like because you're thinking, okay, no, I like you're getting inside their head to say, oh, no, this is why they're doing something. So I shouldn't feed that beast. Uh, Maybe. I don't know. I just feel like it helps to – I just naturally analyze – like I don't analyze the things I'm supposed to. Like in school, like you're supposed to analyze like – you know, literature or math. And then I'm like, well, I don't want to analyze that. And, but then I'm like analyzing myself and other people. It's like, it's never the thing I'm supposed to, but, uh, yeah, I think it helps just like knowing where something comes from so that you don't take it personally as much. It's like, okay, if I know that 
you learn that mechanism from your dad, it's harder to be mad at you because it's like, okay, that's, that's literally what you learned. It's like a conditioned behavior to some extent. So I'm, the feeling is less in me. So now I don't have to be as upset. And that's why I love learning psychology because then I feel better just walking around instead of like upset all the time. <laughs> right. That makes sense. Like, so, okay. So, so when you're doing stand up or whatever, say you have a rough set yeah. or, you know, a couple in a row, do you lean back? Like, do you fall back on what you know about psychology to, to kind of mend you a little quicker? Yeah, I think so. Like I, and I'm really sensitive to rejection. Like I think that's maybe why I didn't do stand up for a while. Cause I was like worried about little things that honestly don't even matter. I did bomb one time really badly. And I think I just built up more like mental armor of like knowing that I think what helped me with that is knowing that everyone, like people are also different in what they find funny. And there's so many other things at play, like in why people laugh. So if I could analyze it that way, it wasn't as upsetting because it was like, okay, well, sometimes people laugh because other people laugh. I'm new to the scene. I think like I've noticed that people who people know more get more laughs at them. Like I was just sitting there like coming up with, you know, my list of whatever reasons Um, or like it was also about my health. So maybe that made them uncomfortable. I just feel like if you have the reasoning, you can uh, instead of just being so like upset. You know, but I still get upset about it. It's just, um, but yeah, it's easier to recover. That's a good way to put it. I know that for a while, and I don't do it very often. Like, it, it, I kind of like, uh, maybe I should do this more or at least try it out. But I have a, a sister who's, uh, you know, her diagnosis is mental retardation. Mm-hmm. So whenever I tell a joke about her, I have to be very careful on how I frame it. Yeah. Because I think people are naturally guarded to not laugh at sure. that. I mean, it absolutely could be not funny. Mm-hmm. And that's why, like, there's definitely that possibility. A fine line. Yeah. But like, it's like, okay, I have to be very careful about how I frame this because I don't want to come off looking like the asshole. Like, because that's not the point of the joke. The point of the joke isn't to poke fun at her necessarily, mm-hmm. but the situation that I had to deal with yeah. or uh, the uncomfortability, the awkwardness. And for a while, it I was like, oh, you know, I suck. Or, oh, they just don't want to laugh because of my sister. And I think it's I think there's a marriage between the two. Like, yeah. Like there's there's deeper in there. And and, I, you know, it obviously changes with culture. Sure. So we're all more careful about what we're what we're joking about, what we're laughing about, because and we should mm-hmm. be. So like that's the stuff like I, I have to rest on, uh, you know, just doing this for a lot of years. It's like, OK, well, I look at, you know, like what you said, like like, oh, you know, you're new to the scene or, you know, people it's it's they don't. If it's a light room, then they and it's a dark joke. Yeah. People don't necessarily want to be caught laughing at something like that. Yeah. So if the lights are low, you're going to get more laughs, you know. Yeah. And I think, okay, that's that's a psychological thing. So I think psychology plays a huge role in the comedy. And I don't know if everybody thinks it that way. Mm -hmm. But uh, I think you having that background has to help. Yeah, definitely. But I still fall prey to just being human. But then it's like. Yeah. Knowing why it's like it's easier to get over it, knowing why you even are sensitive to rejection like that could help because um, some people aren't that sensitive to it. And if you are, it's like you could do affirmations, which sounds really corny, but it does help. And also just knowing that like like because when I was younger, I used to think like, you know, I was really critical of myself and I thought like only certain people were. And then the more I've learned about everyone is that everyone is like, some people don't seem that way, but mostly the more I know about people's inner mind, it's like everyone is critical of themselves. It's just like a human, I don't know why we evolved to be, to have that inner critic that can be so horrible sometimes, but like right, just knowing that everyone has that should help help with it, that it's like not really you. It's like this human thing that evolved in our brains for whatever reason to help us sometimes, but it also is very damaging. Well, I just to go on like a, like a human level, man. And I, I'm so naive, uh, still am, but I, I definitely was, but I think I was about 35 and you know, I'm 37 now. So it wasn't this huge period of growth, but my, uh, just a friend, uh, she was at a bar and came over and she said, Hey, uh, that guy over there, uh, hit on me and he kept touching my arm or whatever. And, you know, uh, and I told him no, and he got mad. And as a guy, I couldn't imagine any guy ever doing that because, like, I, I couldn't see a woman doing that. But 
she rejected him and he got mad and started yelling at her, uh. like just raising his voice. And all I can think as a guy who also is afraid of rejection, yeah, I think I would never, I would never want to call attention to my rejection <laughs> yeah. by saying that. And she was like, well, I was afraid of rejecting him because who knows what's going to happen next. Right. I'm like, oh my God, as a guy, I never, and I feel bad for saying it, but I never thought, oh, he could actually hit her. Like yeah. that's an option. And yeah. I was like, cause that, that never would have come across my mind. Sure. Yeah. And so ever since then I was like, oh yeah, that's right. That's, that's absolutely a possibility. Yeah. It is scary in that way. Like it's interesting that the light is shined more now on like, you know, what women go through now it's like cool to talk about and like people are more open to hearing about it. But yeah, even stuff that people are saying now, they're like, oh, well, guys don't have to be scared when they walk down the street. Like, I even I didn't think about that because it's if it's so ingrained in your life, you're just used to it. You're like, yeah, yeah, I get scared when I walk down the street. Like, it's like, oh, wait, that is true. I They don't have to deal with that. Or, yeah, I get nervous about rejecting someone because, you know, there's a fear of what they could. Even someone being mad at you, it doesn't feel great, right. you know, like, but yeah. Well, I know, like, you know, I I hate being rejected, like, I, it, which is fo- so funny because we're comedians. Like <laughs> at least half of what we say on stage is going to be rejected every night, you yeah. know, especially at an open mic where it's like, we're trying new stuff out. And like, I host a mic and I've got a buddy, I was talking to him yesterday and uh, he goes, yeah, man. Uh, he always says, oh, I lo- Seth is really funny. I'm like, yeah. And then back in my mind, I'm like, yes, yeah, Seth is funny, but I was like, I'm going out there trying new stuff every night. So if it doesn't <laughs> yeah. work, then it's a fucking gamble. Meanwhile, Seth is trying stuff, but not at a at a rapid pace, like the new stuff. And it's like, so I want you to come to a show and see that I'm okay too. And like, <laughs> like I just don't, uh, you know, for, for me, like I have a hard time asking people out because I don't want to be, I don't be rejected. Yeah. And as a guy, I think that we're under the impression that women don't go through that because like, Everybody will date a woman. It's like, no, that's not the but case, no. idiot. <laughs> yeah. It's, so it's like whenever I hear somebody say, oh, yeah, well, you know, I'm afraid of being told no. I'm like, you're a woman. Who would say no? I'm like, yeah, yeah that's not. there are people around like like and that, that's a that's a natural instinct. Yeah. I mean, the first time I was rejected, it was like the worst feeling ever. You know, I built it up in my head for like months, terrified and then like ugh, the worst pain ever. Yeah, I mean, who likes being rejected? But yeah, I guess some people are more desensitized to it, I guess, or it doesn't hold as much weight. But I think, again, like psychology could help because people are into different things, like based on how they grew up, based on their background. So like, you can't take it that personally if someone grew up differently than you. Uh, that's Your preferences are partially shaped by by that. So then it's easier to be like, Okay, well, not I. Not everyone is going to like me because um, they grew up in this way, and their parents are this way, or the state they're in, or whatever. Like a million things. Uh, it's like even if you were given a food when you're younger, it's like comforting probably because that's what you had. Like so, that's your preference. Like I don't know, just like stuff like that helps. I think could help uh, that feeling because I, you know, that feeling is horrible if you don't have any of that knowledge and even if you do it doesn't feel good yeah yeah no i i like what you said because now like uh like the comfort food like i i grew up eating spaghettios so now i don't have to think of myself as being low class because i still eat spaghettios <laughs> i can think no it's just comfort food and uh i was programmed to like spaghettios so. exactly you're conditioned by <laughs> if your mom bought spaghettios you're gonna like crave it or whatever or hate it you know depending on the person but well who would ever hate spaghettios i just think they're monster people <laughs> honestly <laughs> so uh yeah. okay do you remember the worst set you've ever had yes hopefully at a show okay can you tell me about that i want to do a test of psychology right here <laughs> okay well i actually thought it was some of my best material i was going through a pretty intense health stuff and some of it was about like seeing this cardiologist and i had this like three minute thing all about the health stuff. And I just watched Tig Notaro do this thing about like having cancer and it yeah. like made her blow up and be famous. And I feel like I was almost inspired by, it. I didn't have, I don't have cancer, but, uh, well, eventually you'll get it. Don't, so don't worry about it. <laughs> you, you'll get your day. <laughs> yeah. I didn't mean it like that, but, um, <laughs> but basically I was like, okay, well, you know, this could be a good thing. It's good to laugh at stuff like that. That can be upsetting. And I thought it was really clever and smart. And I think it was in like Nyack and it just like completely bombed. And I was like, I think the last 
sentence worked. And it had so many jokes in it. And it was pretty upsetting. But again, I was like, maybe people are younger. So they don't relate to having these health problems at a young age or like, um, it might make them uncomfortable. You know, it was a risk. So I guess like that helped me get through it. But I was also kind of annoyed because I was like, this is good material. Like, yeah, yeah, it did not go well. No one knew me. Like I said, I think that's part of it. It was pretty bad. So how do you recover from that? Uh, Like I just said, just like knowing, just thinking about why, like trying to be more objective. Like, why didn't this work? It could have also been like the timing of the night I went on. Like there's so many factors with comedy. Like sometimes it's bizarre that something can work in one audience and not another. But I think mostly it was probably the topic matter was like a risk because it's about your health. Yeah. It's rather serious. People are younger. So maybe if you were a bunch around a bunch of old people, it might have worked. So that helped me. And I think just like time and like I was kind of mad because I was like, it's good. Like, yeah, uh, people are stupid, whatever. Um, (laughs) Well, they are stupid. So you got that. uh, They only care about like dick jokes or whatever. Like, I don't know. But uh, yeah, I think just like that helped me. And then um, I think I did something else again and it worked. Maybe that. And, And also knowing that like everyone bombs, like it's literally it happens to everyone and everyone's like, oh, it's such a great, wonderful thing. Like, yeah, it feels super awesome. <laughs> like every like pro comedian, it's like, it's actually what you learn best from. And it's this amazing thing. It's like, okay, well, it really doesn't feel that way, but. <laughs> no, no, it feels like I should be doing anything else with my life. But yeah, you know, like I understand how it's beneficial in the long term because like it'll teach you how to adjust to situations. And, and I think the best thing about bombing is that not that you ever want to do it so many times, but like you learn to accept it and move on quicker. Yeah. So that's, and that's like one of the reasons I like hosting is that if a set doesn't go perfectly well all the time, it's fine. I'm playing with a different deck than a lot of other people because the room is completely cold. Half the room, if it's a free show, and that's where psychology comes into play. Half the room, if if it's a free show, they don't know what's happening anyway. So you're really intruding on their dinner and, or their football game or whatever it is. So my goal for, as a host is to just set the table and get everybody aware that a comedy show is happening for the next hour plus. <laughs> and then it, as long as I don't completely shit my pants on stage, then I've done my job. So, you know, but I think that I've only learned that by the repetition and they're not straight out bombs. Like, I don't remember a time where I completely I mean, not in the last two years where I completely took a shit on stage. But, you know, sets don't go perfectly and you're OK with it. You know, like you just learn that, okay, that's part of it. Yeah. And I think like just always asking yourself, why didn't it go well? Like maybe you could learn something or it might not even be that much about you. Like sometimes it seems like where you are in the show, like, I don't know, in the beginning, like as I did really well a couple months ago on a Zoom thing. And I was like, why was that so different? Like I did that same material somewhere else and it was not. And I noticed I was smiling more. I was like, why would that help if... I feel like looking mad would help me be funnier, like not smiling, but I don't know. It's just like I start thinking about like a million different reasons. Well, I think with Zoom and I could be completely wrong. Like I do I do a mic every Thursday with some guys in Lewisburg, Pennsylvania and, you know, hodgepodge of people from everywhere else. But all the mics are on. uh, But, you know, I've been doing it every week for got eight months now and they know me. There's a familiarity that does help. Yeah. So when I do similar material and I, I generally, for that one, I do a new set every week. But when I do like material at, you know, a place in Hawaii or Tennessee or wherever the mics are happening, it's a gamble. I mean, comedy is always a gamble. But like material that I know works on stage in a live setting will not work on Zoom sometimes. And I, hmm. for the life of me, I don't know why. That's weird because when I saw you, I was like, oh, my God, this guy is so funny. Like at, literally there were like so many things in a row. I think it was just like the topic matter that I just like always find amusing anyway. But um, it definitely stood out. Oh, I appreciate that. So I don't know. Yeah. And I think I think that one, I don't know exactly what set I did then, but like. It was about like Walmart and stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. And that material probably, if it's the one I'm thinking about, that was probably written the week before or something like that. So I likely had tried it out on stage like at, at an open mic once. And then uh, did a few online ones. But yeah, I, I find the Zoom stuff is hard to read if the set's doing really well. Like if you can find a, a writing workshop or something like that, you might get a more accurate read. But I enjoy them. I think there's a whole lot of value 
And to, I mean, if it wasn't for that, for the last eight months, 10 months, yeah, 10 months, uh, we would have been doing nothing. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, obviously I'd rather do something than nothing. It's also like less intimidating. Like I, maybe I haven't done live stand up for enough time where I would not get nervous, but like, obviously being on a screen makes you less nervous and like being on a stage with lights, like, and sometimes that nervous energy is good, but I think it could also help people who are new, who are like intimidated or uh, feel a bit nervous about, or get like stage fright or whatever. Yeah. So how long you've been uh, with this, I assume as a guy, but how long has this relationship been going on that, that you're able to move to Rochester? Because I've been to Rochester and I like it, but I'm not sure I'd ever move there. <laughs> um, I was with them for like a year and then I moved there, but I really, I would go to visit Rochester and I really liked it because I kind of like how like artsy it is. And yeah, just it reminded, and I loved Ithaca, like when I I used to want to go to college there. I think my initial reaction to Rochester is like, ew, it's going to be one of those depressing upstate New York towns. It's like super like stuck in the past and like industrial and like, you know, because I have family in um, near like the Albany, Schenectady area. So I've been going to upstate New York for a while, not like this far. But so, yeah, I thought it would be like that. And then I was like pleasantly surprised. I was like, oh, there's a really cool like art scene here and like nice restaurants. And like, it's really beautiful in like the Park Ave area. It's super nice. Kind of reminded me of the town I grew up in, like very pretty. So, yeah. Yeah, I went up there. Man, I think the last time I was up there was I did a show like the day before Thanksgiving and it wasn't bad. I mean, I was just in and out of the town. Uh, I went to a concert there and I saw a band called Aaron West and the Roaring Twenties. And it was just in this small club and I loved it. But it was the first time I had seen Rochester, like the, the city at night. And I was like, holy shit, this is an actual city. Yeah. Like it feels like like things happen here. And Binghamton feels like that too, but not. It does. <laughs> it does, honestly, but not as large as Rochester appeared. Yeah. So Binghamton, there's like a, I don't know, like a six block radius in the city that things happen and only college kids are involved, like college kids and douchebags. That's really (laughs) all they attract anymore. Yeah. I went to some weird Vietnamese restaurant in Binghamton and we're like the only people and it looked like a house sort of. It's kind of bizarre. (laughs) Oh, I I think I know. Hmm. Man, I don't I don't remember the name of it, but I, I'm pretty sure I know where you're talking about. And it was right off Main Street, probably. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I I think I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah, there's a if you go to Binghamton the next time, like if you come down here for a show or whatever, get here early, and I'll tell you where to go, uh, and <laughs> okay. or we'll go together or something. But we'll get pizza. Okay, I, I love pizza. Binghamton does pizza really really well. Cool. And I know it's it's kind of hard to screw up, but we were founded by a bunch of Italians. Oh, nice. So like there's like an Italian place, uh, especially a pizza place, like every, it seems two blocks. Mm. So, I mean, like, like from Endicott, I'm in Endicott and, and we are definitely built by Italians. So just in like the weird neighborhoods, uh, like right off of the main drag, there are, are Italian places opening up everywhere and they all have great pizza. So that's what you got to have when nice. you're Nice. I love pizza. I don't know much about Vietnamese food or Thai, but yeah, I'm not a big Thai guy. Really, I love Thai food. So yeah, good. I, I, I th- it's the consistency for me. Really? Uh, it was like a yeah, I had like a, a spring roll or like a I don't know what it was called. It was I don't know. It's I think it's too vegan type for me. Mm-hmm. But uh, I couldn't do the. It was like a it was like a yeah. I think it was a, a just a spring roll, and I couldn't chew it. Like fried or no? It wasn't fried. Oh, okay, so oh, those weird like yeah, that that consistency can be kind of. Not great, but like the fried ones are amazing. Okay. I, I don't think I had those. I had like a, I like the rice, like the chicken and the rice was really good. Thai food is so sweet. That's why I love it. It's like sweet and spicy always. I could go with the, the spicy food all day. I love spicy food. But I'm like, I'm one of those weird guys who probably not in the comedy scene at least, but like, uh, especially Rochester. Here's what you're going to find in Rochester. <laughs> Do not bad mouth Taco Bell in Rochester. Okay. <laughs> that they're like this guy Dario Joseph who swears by it, and and I do too. I love Taco Bell, but for a little while, like we would send messages to each other about what we're getting, and I had him on the podcast, and he was yelling at me that I had never had a Baja Blast with a meal, and because I'd never had Mountain Dew before, we we just send each other updates, and if we ever post about Taco Bell, you know, it's got to be an instant like or a comment, and <laughs> it feels like uh, the comedians, especially up there, it's like. That's their safe place. Really? Taco Bell? Oh, yeah. 
Okay. Listen, you say it with disdain now, but <laughs> once you're doing comedy in Rochester for like three or four months, you'll understand why Taco Bell is so loved. With tomatoes that taste like plastic? Cool. I will not have you on this podcast <laughs> bad mouthing Taco Bell. Sorry. No, I mean, Taco Bell can be good. I just feel like, okay, if people badmouth New Jersey, the one thing about northern New Jersey is that it's amazing food. Like every type of ethnicity, every t- obviously like Italian, like yeah. Mexican, Indian, Thai, like amazing, amazing food. So it's hard to be like, oh, yeah, like Taco Bell is good. <laughs> I mean, Taco Bell is good, though. Like, I get it. The, what are they called? The crunchy fried things? Well, a bunch of things. I mean, there's a lot of things that talk about that are kind of the Basically same. Basically everything. Yeah. Like- <laughs> it's like that old gaffing bit. It's like, it's like, what is Mexican food? What is tostada? It's like, they're all the same. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but it's probably a chalupa is what you're thinking about. Yeah. Those are good. Uh, there's a gordita crunch. There's, uh, but my, I always get nacho bel grande is really bad. It's, uh, for the same, <laughs> I've gotten the same thing since I was 20 at mm-hmm. least. So that's 17 years. And, uh, for my birthday, I, it's so pathetic. I can't believe I'm <laughs> saying this out loud, but for my birthday, I will get, I mean, for every day, but definitely my birthday, I will go to Taco Bell alone and I will get a nacho bel grande and a chicken chalupa supreme, add nacho cheese. That's how you have to order it. And then I'll get something else, but that's my standard meal. And you just go there alone on your first. Well, I don't eat there. I get it through the drive-thru. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, okay. Yeah. I'm not that pathetic. I you like eating there alone on your birthday. Okay. <laughs> I know. I just got like a birthday crown and uh and, and a little <laughs> bit of a little bit of cake, and uh, I'll put that in like the cinnamon twists, <laughs> like just a candle. Yeah. And no, I'm not that pathetic. I'm like I don't, and I think that. But like there was one time I was in uh, I was in Maryland, and I went to Taco Bell. I believe this was on my birthday too. I went there through the drive-thru at like noon or one o'clock. And then I went again at like six or seven, which makes you feel bad enough. <laughs> but the same drive-thru attendant. Notice you. Gave me my food both times. Oh, yeah. And like, we didn't say a word to each other, but we knew. We knew what I'd done. And it was like one of the most shameful days <laughs> of my life. It was really bad. That's funny. They didn't say anything. No. And I, I mean, it was like, have a good day or whatever. And, but I knew like, I could see her eyes were like, I'm not going to tell anybody because I feel horrible for you. It was, (laughs) it was just a, it was a really dark day. Like, so what you had, you had the same thing. You had the same, uh, type of food twice in a day. Big deal. Hey, it was my birthday. So you can do whatever the fuck you want on your birthday. Exactly. That's what I think. You know what I wanted to, I thought would make like sort of a funny comedy skit or maybe not, but like, you know how you can get free stuff on your birthday. Yeah. Like from different I thought it'd be funny if someone went around and got like they hit up every single like chain where you can get something for free and just had like all this stuff. I would love to see that. I would love to be that guy. Yeah, but like every time I've tried, it's like too much work and I'm like, uh, no. <laughs> You're gonna fit in really well in upstate New York. Yeah. <laughs> we all had these great ideas and they're like, eh, I don't want to do it. Yeah, that's like my my attitude towards like skits, like doing comedy skits, I'm like, oh, this great idea. And I'm like, wait, I have to get a thing and then do another thing? Like, uh <laughs> Stand up is easier. Yeah, I think so too. I think one of the things that's keeping me off TikTok, I mean, I'm on it, but I'm not producing anything for it. But one of the things that, aside from my age, and it's the amount of effort it looks like those people are making. And I don't know if I could do it. Like, that, I respect everybody for doing that. I don't think I can do it. I'm sure by the time this airs, I'll have something produced, but likely not. I think that's why one of the reasons I love stand-up is that like, so I also like do music, not as much anymore, but I started out like doing, in college, I would do open mics with like a full length keyboard. And I was like, this is oh really super annoying to carry around. And I gave up because I was like, I don't want to carry it. Like it's, and then it's like stand-up and then skits and stuff like that. It's like a lot of production that I don't have. Stand-up is just like, just you. You could go anywhere and do it. You know, it's it's like, yeah, I love that about it. How serious were you for music? Uh, well, I studied piano like as a kid and teenager and early adult. So a bunch of years, like classical, stuff like that. Yeah, my dad is a symphony conductor. Oh, wow. A youth symphony conductor in Binghamton. And then my mom doesn't teach as much anymore, but for, for years, uh, she taught Suzuki piano stuff. Oh, wow. So... Yeah, she she plays clarinet professionally and all around Binghamton. They're still working pretty hard there, but they're entrenched in the music scene. So did you grow up in a household oh, yeah. with a lot of like classical music? Oh yeah. Um well Same here. They didn't really play well, I guess so. My my dad 
I don't think he's ever turned. I don't think the the radio in his garage has ever been unplugged. It's always on. <laughs> so like yeah. that's how we know uh, the house hasn't been ransacked or whatever. It's like the classical music still going on. And my my buddy Jeff will ask me every once in a while. He goes, "So that radio still on?" I'm like, "Yep, yep, sure." But yeah, we had to play. Like I play, I learned how to play like four instruments and five if you count. Oh, piano. cool! Uh, I was a. Uh, I nice. had I had to play trumpet because my dad played trumpet and. I wanted to play drums and he said, no, you're going to play trumpet. So drums are fun though. I still like, I'll play drums like whenever I listen to something, but it never. Do you have a drum set? No, no, I never really learned. I just, you know, play on the steering wheel or or whatever. But my dad would always yell at me because it was in his band room. And after school, I just get on the set and start trying to figure it out. And it was like, as soon as I hit that, that snare drum, he came out of his office like, Mike, get out of there. I'm like, ah, damn it. So yeah. But I had to. I ended up playing uh, euphonium, baritone, and then tuba, and then trombone. So, oh, cool! Played everything in the brass essentially, except for French horn. I could never, never get that thing to work. Difficult. Yeah. Difficult instrument. Yeah, my parents actually are like huge music nerds and met in uh, at Columbia for like music, but they don't do anything professionally. But I was always dragged to like you know, like Lincoln Center, New York City, like just music constantly, stuff like that. So yeah, I grew up also in a very musical household. Were they cool with you going into stand-up? I mean, obviously it's one art form to another. Yeah, like I think like we always enjoyed like stand-up. They don't really like the super like crude stuff, which I don't really like too. Maybe that's where I got it from. Right. (laughs) Um, Because it's like uncomfortable. Like I feel like I'm the only one that's like, why would I invite my family to this stuff that's like about everyone's sex life? It'd be so uncomfortable. So that's, I made like a family friendly show just so I could invite my family without feeling weird. Like, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that's like the reason I, cause I was like, I want to invite them, but I don't want to feel weird. I don't know if any, I, I feel like no one else feels that way. I feel like an outcast or something. <laughs> uh, my parents have only seen me. It's, it's different. My dad seen me one more time than my mom. I think my mom seen me twice. My dad seen me three times. And the first show, I think I, I had only been doing stand-up for maybe four or five months. So I wasn't that good. And the first show, I started talking about sex or whatever. And mm-hmm. I'd never had that conversation with my parents. Like, that was only in TV shows that, you know, in my mind. Yeah. But my mom turned around and, and she, <laughs> she was uncomfortable with everything. Doesn't like stand up. Oh, that's so. She turned around and looked at the bar and not me, you know, after like my first three or four minutes. And I'm like, all right. And I didn't really notice it. Like, I I guess I did, but didn't think about it. But afterwards, she goes, I couldn't do it. And I'm like, yeah, okay. And like, like, uh, thank you for that gauge. But, but I, I still don't talk about sex with my parents. Like, that's why would anybody want to do that? Yeah. So then it's weird to me that like everyone who does stand up is so cool with like, I mean, it's totally fine. It's just like I wouldn't invite my family because I would feel weird. But like I want to because they do like stand up and I want, you know. So, yeah. But I think they, you know, there's always appreciation for comedy like growing up. And um, like I and just like my favorite moments are when we'd all laugh like. Yeah. Or my brother is really funny. And I just like some of the best times are that. So like why wouldn't you why wouldn't anyone not want to laugh more like, oh, no, I want to be depressed all the time. Right. People want to laugh like it feels good. So why wouldn't you do comedy? <laughs> like, I don't know. Yeah. And I mean, if, if you look back and say, OK, well, I used to watch Robin Williams with my parents. Like that was obviously a really and you go psychological again. But like that was a really good bonding experience. And to yeah. to be on stage and be able to be that Robin Williams for your parents, that has to mean something, too. Yeah. I don't think any I could never like be his style of stand up, but like because it's insane. Yeah. And amazing. But uh you're not, I assume you're not, you don't have that much body hair either. <laughs> no. He's like a, he's like a gorilla. <laughs> yeah. Just like he has like 5 million characters and voices going at once. Like I can never do that kind of stuff. But, um, but yeah, I think they appreciate stand up and they're really like supportive. And, um, but yeah, like I, I did tell my mom, like, this is easier than doing music. Cause like music, if you write your own music or lyrics, which I did, it's way more vulnerable. Like comedy, it's like you already have a, defense mechanism of comedy as like if anything is embarrassing or bad you could literally just make a joke and you're still like almost deflecting like it's it's humor so it's already used you're like cool like it's music it's like way more like personal and raw and like uh yeah like vulnerable if you're being like sentimental or like stuff like that i think is way harder so i like comedy for that reason i also think that as an audience member staring at a musician is harder for me. Like 
like a to have like say say it was just me and a friend in the audience and you're playing a piano and you're singing or something. I find it very awkward for me to make eye contact with you. But if you're telling a joke as an audience member, I don't care how, who else is in the audience. Like I know I can look at you and not feel awkward. Hmm. Like, but I, you know, when somebody's singing, I feel like they're singing at me. Or That's to a good me. point. Yeah. And I was like, I was like, oh, that seems creepy almost. <laughs> like, do, like I'll, I'll try to, I'll try to look away or whatever. Like, especially if like it's a, a romantic or a sappy song or anything heartfelt. I'm like, oh, I just feel odd. <laughs> yeah. That's uh. So we just had a therapy session. So I, uh, I hope, I hope this, this can, you can put this toward like your grad school credit because, uh, Hey, I talked to a Looney Tune for about an hour. So, uh, no, give me, no. give me three credits, <laughs> but, uh, do you have anything to plug? I mean, I don't know when this is going to air, but, uh, social media wise, I have been doing a lot of like Instagram reels, which are fun. And I think like, are you on Instagram? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So those like a lot of times they get a lot of views. Like it's a really good, uh, thing to do right now while like it's new and everyone's looking at it um so yeah i do a lot of those my instagram is emma.spacepaxton because you know the other one was taken so oh it sucks <laughs> so yeah i do a lot of that and i'm doing some shows um but yeah that's about it everything's on my instagram that's what i usually use for like all my comedy stuff i think that's the way everybody's going to it used to be you know and i haven't been doing it that long but like you know when i started i didn't even know what instagram was really and, you know, I think I was like six months in and they're like, yeah, you should probably make an Instagram. I'm like, oh, OK. Yeah. I don't use Instagram as much as I should, but I do know that I get whenever I post, I get something, you know, and it feels like it's not a waste of time. Yeah. But uh, I appreciate doing this and I'll let you go. But thank you so much. And if you stay on, I'll tell you everybody you should avoid in Rochester. <laughs> OK. And uh, I'll, any dirt you want to know, I'm your guy. OK. But really, thank you so much for doing this, and I appreciate it, and it's great talking to you. Yeah, it was super fun. Thank you so much. You got it. All right, I'll talk to you in a bit. Inside, some peeling back my sunburnt skin. I'll wait outside your bedroom. I, I hope they let me in.